like to welcome you to the Beef Educator, <clears throat> Educator Series podcast. My name is Ryan Larson, Farm Management Specialist with Utah State Extension. Here today with me is Dr. Eric Thacker. Welcome. And Dr. Matt Garcia. Eric, would you mind uh, introducing yourself? Yeah, uh, my name is Eric Thacker. I'm the Range Extension Specialist here at Utah State University. I've been at Utah State about seven years. Thank you. Matt? <laughs> Matt Garcia. I'm the State Beef Cattle uh, Extension Specialist. Um, do a lot of work in holistic whole systems type planning for beef cattle operations. And I've, I've been here for about four years. Excellent. So we've put our, ourselves together in this podcast to view, help you view your operations from a systems framework. And the reason why we want to do that is that when, when every decision you make as an operator has, has implications. And so that's why we want you to use this podcast as a, as a way to help you think about your operation from that, from that systems framework. Each one of these different disciplines, range management, uh, animal science and economics intersect together with the end goal of helping you become more sustainable as an operation. Dr. Garcia, when you think of viewing your system from a holistic or a systems framework, how would you define that? Well, I think if, if we're looking at this as a, as a whole systems or a holistic approach, we, we have to understand that nothing in our beef production systems operate independently. A uh, decision made at one run production time point is going to have upstream and downstream effects of that decision. You know, so decisions made, example, from during the breeding season, you know, isn't just going to affect that subsequent calf crop. It's going to affect range utilization. It's going to affect supplementation programs. It's going to affect marketing programs. It's going to affect the breeding program, you know, for years to come. So. When I think of a holistic approach, it's, it's putting all the pieces of the puzzle together from the range, the nutrition, the marketing, the breeding, the nutrition, everything together so that it, it operates as a compatible, efficient system going forward. Yeah, we can't view these pieces in isolation. It's, no. It's impossible to view it that way. Dr. Thacker, when you think about Utah and the specific or even the Intermountain West, why is range management such an important piece of this holistic point of view? Well, I think one of the unique challenges in the Intermountain West is the short window or the narrow window in which we produce forage. So that window in Utah can be anywhere from 45 days to about 90 days, depending upon, you know, elevation, um, how far north and how far south you are in the state. So. You know, the extreme is Rich County, which has higher elevation, has a really narrow window. And so <clears throat> the bottom line is we have an, uh, a narrow window they're trying to hit and made up with our beef production system when we have forage available on our rangelands um, and how best to utilize that forage. The forage that grows during that 45 to 90 day window is the forage that the beef producers rely on for about six months worth of their grazing or more, depending upon uh, the type of operation they run. Accompanying this podcast is a graph that you put together that I think <clears throat> outlines or visualizes the how we view the operation. Can you tell us about this this graph that, that users can find on our on our website? Yeah, so this is a graph that is created basically tracking the green up of vegetation and then as the vegetation dries out. 
And so in most of Utah, the vegetation greens up <clears throat> in April and May and then dries out, you know, sometime in August. Well, anywhere from July to September, depending on um, various factors. But the graph helps illustrate when we have kind of that nexus of forage quality and forage quantity on landscape. Obviously, early in the spring, we have um, a lot of high quality forage, but it's generally in lower abundance. As our forage quantity increases, then our forage quality generally declines. So <clears throat> how we use that resource in terms of timing, when we put cows onto the range, when we take cows off, um, when we calve, when we wean, all of those have consequences in terms of how we use and utilize that rangeland. So one of the things that kind of brought us to this point is we started um, looking at how other native ungulates, you know, deer, elk, etc., use these landscapes um, in terms of the timing of their reproductive cycles, because that gives us a good indication of when the kind of the sweet spot in terms of forage availability and forage quality occurs on the landscape. Now, what you're implying is maybe a shift in how we time different pieces of our operation. Is that, am I, am I correct in that? <clears throat> yeah, so... I don't think any of us on this podcast want to start dictating or telling people um, when the exact date everyone should calve is. Um, and I think we would be remiss because there's way too many factors, which both Dr. Larson and Dr. Garcia can elaborate from economic decisions to, you know, breed back dates and all of those types of things. But I think what we want to do is get people to think about when they're calving and why they're calving during those time periods. Because what we're basing a lot of this off of is if the closer you time calving to that green up period, that's the less amount, that's timing your cow's demands, highest nutritional demands with when you have the greatest forage quality and forage quantity available on landscape. So you're really, what we're encouraging people to do is to try to think about how they can maximize the use of those rangelands when they're the most useful and then <clears throat> when where your cow's at in that, that beef production cycle. Yeah, and interestingly enough, in Utah, those rangelands provide us with a competitive advantage. You know, when you compare our cost of production to other states where they don't have as much access to public range, our costs are lower per average. And so, they, you know, it, it, it's to our benefit to utilize those resources to their maximum capacity. Well, and I think that's the adaptive approach that we're trying to encourage here is we have to use what we've got. And so while our rangelands may not be as productive, we generally have a lot of rangeland available um, or, you know, to be grazed. And so <clears throat> the beauty of it is it's a low production or a low input system, meaning it doesn't take a lot of inputs to make that rangeland or to help that rangeland produce beef um, with some proper management. So I think that's one of the advantages we do have is it doesn't cost us a lot per unit. Yeah. Dr. Garcia, from a from an animal health perspective or beef production cycle, how, how do you relate to this graph and how does it respond? How do animals respond to it? Well, I think that, you know, the graph is is something that provides us a lot of information on, on how kind of those circadian rhythms or those natural rhythms occur in nature. You know, deer, like Dr. Thacker was talking about, they're, they're essentially timing their most energy-dependent or highest energy-demand part of their, their life cycle to when there's going to be enough resources on the ground to sustain that. 
Now, what we've been doing in production agriculture is we've kind of moved away from that. We're kind of forcing animals into the system rather than kind of matching the system a lot of times for a number of different reasons. But right now, when I look at that graph and we look at our traditional timing, where we're calving here in Utah for the most part, uh, we're, we're calving during that, that part of the curve where forage quantity, forage quality is extremely low. It's not there and anything that is there you know, isn't very good. Now, part of the problem with that, like we've talked about from an economic standpoint, the cow's energy demand is the highest at that point, so we're, we're feeding her, you know, surplus hay or forage at that point, and we're trying to match her energy demand, you know, with that, that surplus or that stockpiled forage. Now, part of the problem with that is when we kick her off of that and we go out, she's she's been in this high nutrient demand for a long time, but when she, during that time where the, the forage isn't that good and the quality isn't that good, the quantity isn't there, you know, we're also going to ask her to rebreed after that. So not only have we increased our production costs, we've kind of hedged our bet that that surplus forage is going to be good enough to kind of get her into that next phase. So if we could essentially match her a little bit better on her calving cycle, you know, with the, the natural forage uh, production of the range, you know, not only would we not have to feed as much of that surplus hay, but she'd also be eating forage that was more able to meet her nutrient demand so that she would breed back much easier. And then we, 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 have, we don't have an issue of having to cull cows that didn't breed because they lost too much body condition score during the winter or during that, that first lactation phase. So not only do we decrease our feed costs, but we also increase the probability that cow's gonna be in our system for an extended period of time, which leads her to eventually become very profitable for us. You know, I think a, something that we often forget about is that the, one of the beauties of beef, cattle, and range is if we have good condition range available for that cow, then she can select the forage she needs to meet right. all of her nutritional demands. When we put them in a a, heart, a a situation where we're feeding them harvested feeds, then as the producer, you have to try to balance what right. does she need with what I have available and how you, you, you meet all those demands. And the beauty of those animals is if they can be on good range, then they can take right. care of themselves. Is that a good way to think about I think so. I think, you know, one of the things that, like you said, cattle are, are extremely, extremely efficient at taking low quality things and, and making a product. And I think that's part of the, the reason we've kind of put them in this system. We've, I think we've overemphasized that ability sometimes without realizing that if we, if we increase the quality slightly and increase the availability, we also increase the productivity of that animal. I think we've, we've gotten into a habit a lot of times of let, let's get by with the bear minimum here that this cow needs and then we'll see how long we can keep her in and producing. When the reality is we make a couple modifications, we, we align a little bit better with our resources, you know, I think we're, we're, we, we have the possibility, the potential to see that that cow's efficiency and productivity go up dramatically. You know, as, a, as an economist, I think about what you're saying and I think about a ratio we calculate return on assets. Right. Each one of those cows is a is an asset and you want to maximize those return as you increase her productivity you're increasing that return on assets mm -hmm. if that return is negative that, that cow is costing you money and there's no return so you know each one of those pieces range animal health tie back to profitability right and our overall goal is to increase profitability if a if an operation isn't profitable i always say it's not sustainable right and so that's why each one of those pieces 
you can't just view in isolation. And also, I think, you know, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think it takes a, a cow on a Western range anywhere from five to six years to be profitable. So that's, you know, what, four, four or five calves. So you got to keep her in the system. And if we're not matching those nutritional needs, she's not going to breed. You know, that reproduction is a luxury uh, of her being taken care of. She, if she's not maintaining a current level or her proper level, she's not going to breed and then we're going to color. So then we have all that maintenance cost associated with keeping around just to see if she's going to breed and she didn't pay any bills. So you're right. At some point, you know, if she, if she loses efficiency because of management or something else, she's, she's a loss. Yeah. Uh, and that's what, you know, at the end of the day, that loss comes back to, to hurt the, the operator mm-hmm. and, and decreased performance, decreased profitability, uh, and, and it's a lose-lose situation. <clears throat> so in the next few series of podcasts, we're going to dive into this systems framework even more. We're going we're gonna to dive into what that means even into more detail. Uh, today's goal was just to introduce the topic, kind of uh, introduce you as a listener to what we are thinking as a holistic framework. And our goal is to, to provide education that, and, and information that can benefit you as an operation. Uh, Dr. Garcia, Dr. Thacker, any last minute? Yeah, so <clears throat> just one thing to think about as you leave this podcast, I want you to look at the graph. And we've just arbitrarily put calving date and wean date on that graph just based on the vegetation, recognizing that's not reality. That's just for illustrative purposes. But <clears throat> I think as you leave this podcast, I want you to think about why you're calving and weaning when and where you are in terms of in relationship to the timing of that graph. Because I think the overall message that we want that graph to illustrate is that the closer you are to the green up, you know, to that rise and follow that vegetation are, uh, of the vegetation that you are, then in theory you would increase your productivity and your economic sustainability because you're taking, you're making the best use of that, that cheaper resource available to your animals. And understanding that each year is going to be different. Yeah. Well, and we've, you know, if you look, this is just a, an example of what that graph looks like. But if you put those years side by side, sometimes that peak, meaning it doesn't get as green, meaning it's a dry year like we may be headed into this year. Yeah. Um, you know, some years, the, the base of that graph, you know, because you have green vegetation longer in the year. So there's a lot of interannual variation in that. And so you have to, this is what makes ranching almost an artist, you have to figure out, so how do I take this highly variable system and parse it down into something that I can I can be somewhat predictable in terms of my return yeah. on my investment with? Well, until the next podcast, uh, hopefully you can see the graph on the, on the website. Use that as a reference throughout this podcast. Um, until next time. Uh, Good luck out there and keep those cows healthy.